Hello, everybody, and welcome back to your favorite Survivor podcast, I assume. It's Mike White was robbed. I'm Naomi Calhoun. That doesn't matter. Today, we have with me in the Zoom studio uh, a wonderful uh, Survivor brain in her own right and a wonderful podcaster. It's Gia Worthy. Gia, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge fan of this podcast and of Survivor and of unpopular opinions in Survivor. So I live to be controversial in my Survivor opinions. <laughs> it, it just fuels the flames. Has anybody ever gotten like very mad at you for, for a Survivor take you've put out there? Oh my God. Yeah. All the time. Like anything revolving... I don't think it's so much of a controversial opinion more as like people avoiding fact, but of course, like I write and do a lot of work around um, race and survivor, but particularly uh, blackness specifically. Mm -hmm. And that always gets some pushbacks. Um, When I remember this one article that I wrote about the episode that Sean Rector was voted out in survivor Marquesas, people were very mad at me to for me to suggest that uh, race may have played a factor into how Sean was treated on the island sometimes. So things like that were not taking very well. But on the let, but those are the type of people that are never going to want to hear my what I think are correct opinions revolving how race can play a role in Survivor. Mm-hmm. But. Oh, yeah. I get people saying things like all the time, like um, I'm a huge fan of Survivor Fiji, which is not usually a very well-loved season. And I think it's fantastic. I'm a huge fan of the final three, really the final four. But the all black final three is, of course, very important to me. Mm. And uh, not a lot of people love that season, but I am a huge fan of it. And I'm a huge fan of like under the radar women winners, which I feel like do not get a lot of love in the greater survivor community. So that's another one that I would say I am very, always very happy to uplift them and uh, shout about how much I love these players, whether it's whether they're uh, women or under the radar women that have uh, won or that they just left an impression on me some way or the other. Um, But that's not always the characters that get the most love. And people seem to quantify the fact that, oh, if you're in, um, if you don't get a big edit, then you're not a good player. And I think that's just completely incorrect. So always happy to challenge people on my, um, to defend my queens. (laughs) Well, we are defending some queens today. Gia, please let me know what is the hot take of the day on the podcast. The hot take of the day is that Survivor San well San Juan del Sur is the superior blood versus water season. And I am so excited to talk about this. Any first of all, any season with the final three of all women is a superior season in my mind. Um, <laughs> which is probably like a one world excuse, but you know what? I don't, I don't feel like defending that point. Um, but this is a fascinating take. Uh, the Tyson fans are going to be furious and I can't wait to tell them that it doesn't matter that your fave won because the season is just not as good as San Juan del Sur. Where, where did this idea like start percolating for you? Like what made you think that this is something that you you really have convictions in? 
Well, I will say that I do actually like the first blood versus water too, which is just Mm -hmm. called blood versus water. Um, I think the cast is really good, particularly the returning players. I am a big fan of, and you know, there's not a ton of duds, but where there are duds, they are very much like unimpressive to me. And some of them go rather far into the game. So I think that doesn't particularly it's not as much fun for me to watch as a blood versus water season there are some really big highlights I do love the coconut bandits bandits (laughs) uh Jervis and Tyson I think they're both really fun characters and I think that it um they were a lot of fun to watch over the season and just you know like Jervis is always so unapologetically himself which is so refreshing and Tyson is probably one of the best confessionalists of all time so I will give them kudos to that and I love when very uh exciting players or very fun players like that make it far um but then there are and of course like the rock draw and Redemption Island I think this is probably the best reiteration of redemption island that we will get mm-hmm. but at the same time it's just i think that they cast a lot of game bots into this season i think some of the gameplay while effective is not particularly exciting to me and then some of the down parts of it i feel blood versus water has some lows that aren't particularly fun or exciting to me whereas Survivor Sanwell Del Sur, with the exception of John Rocker's vote out, which is a very early vote out. Mm-hmm. So it's more like that's the low point of the season for me in terms of outside things being brought into the game. But then it's a huge comedy of errors. Like Blood versus Water has a hilarious cast, people making mistakes all throughout the season in very hilarious fashions. There's more than one instance of players being voted out for no fault of their own other than the fact that the people they are playing with are just so inept at being strategic in the game and I think that's hilarious to me it's messy it's fun it has the greatest end game that we will probably ever see in Survivor with Natalie Anderson's revenge tour (laughs) and it just makes for for me it makes for the better rewatch and then as a season for the season as a whole, thinking about it as a story, I think San Juan del Sur just delivers the more compelling story to me, whereas opposed to Blood versus Water, where we see mm-hmm. um, we have some fun players in Blood versus Water. Like I've said, I'm also a big fan of like Aris. Uh, Hayden was really good in here. We have the whole like Sarah voting out her mom story and everything. And I'm also a big fan of Tina. So they have those fun players and those fun moments. But really, this is the story of how uh, Tyson, Monica, and Jervis make it to the end. And there really isn't a lot of instances where they really are going to be in danger. There's, we know that they're the ones in power and they stay in power pretty much all through the merge. And it seems very obvious that of those three, Tyson would win if he got to the end. So I'm just not a huge fan of very obvious winner edits. Mm. So while I think Tyson is a very good winner and definitely a deserving winner, I think anyone in that final three would be a deserving winner. It's just not as fun to me as seeing a very strong, powerful woman of color uh, make her 
start off on a hot mess tribe. Both tribes, I think, on San Juan del Sur were a hot mess and have Natalie, you know, like persevere. Her sister was the first one voted out. Um, have her navigate through losing her sister, losing her closest ally, Jeremy, in the very early stages of the merge and get seeing how she outplays everyone in her path. So that's just, and it's not a boring path, like revenge tour either. Like there are very unique moves that Natalie executes herself that make for a very glorious finish and a very deserving winner as well. Absolutely. Well, I want to start at the beginning, which is that blood versus water one comes first. Mm -hmm. And I think that survivor was too scared to do a blood versus water season um, completely independently of, of returning players. And so you have to start off with this batch of half and half. But I think that the biggest detriment to survivor 27, well, one is some of the casting choices, but two is that the people that they cast as the loved ones just cannot hold a candle to the actual survivor players. Very rarely uh, do we see, I mean, the only two returners from the season are Sierra and Vetus, and they don't do so well their second time around, right? Or their second or third time around. I just don't think that the the loved ones can hold a candle to the returning players. And the only one who can is uh, the guy who fucking won Big Brother. So, like, <laughs> I really feel like that this season has, uh, as much as it is fun, like you said, I love the Coconut Bandits very much. And I love Monica. Oh, and Brad. I guess Brad came back. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> I, yeah. Because exactly. I, I have, in my life, blocked out Brad Culpepper completely from my <laughs> subconscious. Um, I've just blocked out all of Game Changers, too. So you can't blame us for not thinking about uh, Brad Culpepper. Um, I just think that it, it's of my opinion that the returning players just so heavily dominate both the edit and the gameplay. And there's just no room, like, as a loved one to breathe. But Gia, I'm, I'm curious if you agree with me. I just think that, like, they really cast, like, half the loved ones are are just duds or, like, are just doing it because clearly their family member wants to be there so badly, like Katie. God bless Katie's daughter, Tina's daughter, Katie. She just is like, I'll do it because my mom's asking me to. Yeah, it was very, it was very one-sided for the most part. And I think this is something that Survivor struggles with when they do any season with half returning players and half newbies. Like they usually have the returning players. The returning players are returning for a reason. They have some level of excitement to them, or there's a reason that they want them on the show a second time. So they've already proven themselves. Whereas the newcomers, which in this case are their loved ones, are in their first season, they really have to prove themselves on why they are the person coming with their loved one or in like a fans versus favorite season, why they have been selected to face off against these returning players. But there's a lot of duds and it's unfortunate. And they're definitely like, they, most of them don't know the game as well as their returning players. Like even someone like Candace who was first voted out in a garbage twist. I hated that twist mm -hmm. so much, but justice for Candace, but like her husband really does not have the same cutthroat energy that Candace does, which is why we were excited. Why I was excited to see Candace return again. 
Um, someone like Kat was really fun. And I guess like Hayden was, is a big brother winner. So that's probably the draw to them. But like Brad Culpepper, so predictable and trying to vote out all the women. Um, definitely a lot of microaggressions throughout the season. Um, I'd argue he does get a little better in game changers, but it's still like, I, I did not see the point in bringing him back a second time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually really like Aris as a winner. Um, he's, I'm a fan of Aris um, from Panama. So the Aris and Vitas storyline was entertaining, but the fact that they are voted out right in the merge, like first and second boots of merge, mm-hmm. make it a lot easier because, you know, because it's like, I don't know if I could deal with a whole season worth of Aris was the good, the golden child and Vetus was the bad boy. And, you know, like this is, this is our struggle throughout the season. Like, no, this was a good place for them to end it. But then there's, you know, like there's the deads, there's uh, Rupert, uh, Rupert's, or Rupert's wife, uh, Laura B. Um, There's, I already said, John Cody. Uh, I think like Marissa and Rachel, I feel like we're victims of circumstance in that they were women on a season or on a tribe that was voting out the women and they got voted out for very minor reasons, but I don't, so I don't know if Marissa or Rachel would have provided something had they made it further, Mm -hmm. but they were still victims of their circumstance and they were voted out very early. So we didn't get to see them. Uh, Caleb rest in peace was a very sweet man. And it was fun to see him in the early stages of the game. He gave me a reason to actually want to watch the other tribe, (laughs) the tribe with all the newbie people, but it wasn't enough for me to hold, you know, to really like hold any interest for that tribe. And we know Sierra, of course, with big moves and stuff like that, but I think she's so overrated as a player, especially in this season with mm-hmm. voting out her mom and all of that. I'm sure we'll get into it a little more, but yeah, it really is like the, the returning players are the reason that we're watching and the reason we really hold any interest and in any intrigue in the season. Uh, on the other side of that, I also think that some of the returning players are also terrible choices to return. I Did think- you not want to see Colton Cumbie play a second time? The The fact that like, Colton Cumby has grifted his way into two seasons of Survivor is absolutely ridiculous and insane. I have like a running list of just like tech, like technically, objectively hilarious things about reality TV, and Colton quitting the game twice as one of them because it's insane. It's insane that it happened the first time, and it's insane that it happened a second time. Um, and the fact that he just bails on Caleb, it, oh boy, I, no, I, I, and- I yeah, and that's the other thing is that the minute Colton said some vile things in one world, let's mm-hmm. be completely frank with that. And, you know, especially with, of course, Bill Posley's vote is immediately what comes to mind. The minute things like that are happening, this man should never have been invited back. I don't I I have seen people say that he has made a lot of positive changes in his life, especially after like he went through a very traumatic event of uh, losing Caleb very unexpectedly and tragically. And that's like, I understand like people are able to change and stuff, but they, he did not have a lot of growth in between his two seasons at the very least. And 
Based on what we saw in One World, there is no reason to bring him back other than you all wanted drama, but that drama is going to come at the expense of what we saw with the women, how he treated, or like the people of color that he treated. So there was nothing to see that production should have been like, we need to have this person back again. Of course, that is not the world that we live in, but I was very aggravated at the fact that he was invited back a second time when there are other players who I far would have rather seen play again. Colton falls to me under the umbrella of somebody like a Brandon Hance, where clearly production thinks this will be a good idea. This is a dramatic villain that people will want to see back on the screen. And it always backfires. It never works out because the villain is, you know, too unhinged or just is exactly the same person. And it's unsatisfying to see them come back. And in reality, kind of ethically, it should not have happened. And I think that you're exactly right that there is no uh, valid reason on earth that Colton comes back. And if I ever met Jeff Prost one day, I would maybe want to like just grill him on this a little bit because I have several questions I would want to <laughs> roast Jeff Prost about. So it's just, but the Colton returning is definitely one of one of the top questions. Why? How dare you, Jeff? Um, the other thing I wanted to, the other returning player that I think is a really is a bit of dud casting is, is poor Cat. I just think that. Seeing how Kat handled the first vote out, I get it because she's dating Hayden Moss and that's fun and CBS crossover, whatever. But like, oh, it's just so frustrating. Like Kat is not emotionally ready to play Survivor again. And it's very hard to watch to me. Yeah, she was just so out of her depth in this season and out of her depth in One World as well. But honestly, I wonder why Survivor often casts players that, in returning seasons who have played recently. So we get a lot, you know, so like with game changers, even though they weren't all game changers, we did get a lot of players from like the past five seasons, you know, Mm -hmm. but like the people that we have immediate memories of, but then I'm like, why, why would you want to bring people from one world back? Like no offense to the one world players, but it was not a well-received season. And there wasn't anything particularly spectacular that definitely not with Colton, but Monica or Kat did not provide really anything special to uh, make me want to revisit the One World cast again. You know, like there wasn't anything specific that they did that made me think, oh, I want to bring them back again. Of course, Monica was a very good player. She made it, she got second place. So I don't want to take anything away from her, but just based on like one world as a season, there was no reason to bring anyone back. I would much rather have seen more players, players from the seasons that like Aris or Jervis or Tina were playing in, or like some of these old, like looking back to some of the seasons where they've passed up on contestants before versus us going to the most recent seasons, just because it's what we would have a recent memory of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's also, it's also Sort of like just think about this stretch, right? We have 25, 26, 27, they're all returning players, like involved seasons, and it just is oversaturated. I feel like at this point, like the the amount of people who are coming back, you you kind of like lose the pool too. Because I, I don't know, I feel like they really uh were looking at like the early 20s as people they wanted to bring back and like not thinking about 
any other cast in terms of entertainment except for like you know you see someone like Jervis right and you're like oh okay cool Jervis is coming back like this is that is also one of my favorite casting choices is getting somebody from season one but it's so insane to me that you have three people from one world on this season when you have so many others to pull from yeah and honestly like looking back on these it's like tight okay so Tyson already played twice before Mm -hmm. um and he, of course, is, ends up being the winner of the season. So that's, you know, like he he was a good casting choice and he's very entertaining. I don't think anyone was ever questioning why Tyson was coming back. Laura Moret played in Samoa, which is also just not a fun season to me. So it's just another like why question mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, RS won Panama and I did. I think he had a really interesting dynamic with his brother. So I can see why, but Ars was never really like the most particularly strategic player. He was a member of the most chaotic tribe imaginable. So I can, I'm, and I'm happy he came back, but it wasn't, um, I think I would have rather them save Ars for like winners at war, to be honest, than a blood versus water season. It wasn't like, I'm not mad about the choice, but I'm not like, I don't know why they went to like Panama of all seasons and said, we want, we want Aris and uh, Vitas to come. So that was just another one that was kind of like, eh, all right. And then to like, we're Rupert, this is his fourth time playing. He gets out very early, but we're definitely in like, this is Rupert fatigue at this point. Like, uh. come on, you don't need a fourth season of Rupert when he never makes any changes to his game to secure himself a win. It's like when we see players like Coach and Ozzy come back, it's like they don't do anything different with their games. It's like the same insufferable behaviors that were very, very intriguing in their first go around, but time by try three or four, I'm done. I don't need to see any of this. And then Candace, who I'm actually was very excited to see return because she often got like the short end of the stick in her play. And I think she can actually be a very fun, blunt player. And she's voted out first too, because we have this bullshit twist where we're just voting people off in like first impressions. Well, not only that. So if uh, you don't know, listeners, RC from Philippines was originally going to be on the season with her dad. um, But upon arriving in uh, they're in the Philippines uh, again, um, but her father was hospitalized due to blood pressure. And so they were last minute replaced by Candace and John. And this uh, this fun fact leads me to my next point, which uh, I think you'll agree with, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, fuck this day. Fuck this day zero twist of like voting somebody out beforehand. That's a horrible big brother way of going about things. And I think it ruins Survivor. Um, because I've seen this happen in live games. I've seen it happen in Big Brother, right? People just make um, choices based on bare minimum first impressions. Um, but as we see, the women both get the like the brunt end of the stick in these instances. And I think it just leads to um, people looking around for one assertive voice, men finding the spot to be an assertive voice, and like the, the nothing... There is no greater opportunity for tribe strong mentality than in a reductive vote like this. And I think it's a mistake. I'm glad it's never come back, but I think they should have never done it. 
yeah, honestly, fuck day one eliminations in any format. It sucks on Big Brother. I don't know why they keep doing it. It sucks particularly on Survivor, but also like to just be completely upfront about it with any returning season, but definitely in this one, you can't tell me that pre-gaming wasn't a thing. So when you have someone that's coming in as a last minute replacement, well, of course, they're going to be the person that has not pre-gamed with anyone. And everyone has already an idea of like, well, like, this is a person I don't have any pre-existing relationship with. Of course, I'm going to vote this person out. So it does not make any sense. The it's just not like particularly fun to watch either. Like we lost two returning players from this, from this twist with Rupert switching out for Laura. Mm-hmm. And of course we were already, were talking about how the returning players are kind of the meat of the season. So, and then Jeff is mad that like, you can tell he wanted like Rupert to be there long-term. And I'm just yeah. like, sir, this is your fault or this is production's fault, which I don't know if Jeff was like an executive producer at this point, but sir, like this is a twist that your team came up with and you're mad that they did it, that they took advantage of it with like having to swap out with their loved one and stuff. It's like, if you wanted Rupert there or you wanted these players in the game you should not have made a twist where there was an option for people to get out within like the first few hours of the game. So bad on them. Yeah. That's one of those, like, I don't want to say objectively hilarious. Like, so there's, there's a few things on survivor that like, um, are beautiful moments of things going wrong where you can clearly tell that Jeff Hopes is like, why the fuck did this just happen? And this is one of them where he's like, wait, wait, no, not Rupert. Like, no, you, you no. But also, as we know through the whole season, that that opportunity is available for everybody to switch out with their loved one, right? And in a season where clearly the returning players are the draw, why are you presenting the opportunity for Tyson to potentially go out third by going to Redemption Island? Um, am I am I wrong here? Besides Rupert, does anybody take up the opportunity to switch out? Uh, no, no one takes the opportunity. I think there's a couple times where people consider it. Like, I think if Rachel had said, yeah, I really want to play, then Ty- or Tyson, yeah, Tyson would have done it. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I think Tyson would have done it. Or if, um, if Tyson had been in a bad spot, he thought maybe if I swap out with Rachel, she'll be able to swap it. You know, like if, if there was anything like that, I think Tyson would have, if like Rachel really wanted to play, I think. Tyson was clearly like the reason that that couple was brought into the returning season. And I don't know if it means Mm -hmm. as much to Rachel to win as it does for Tyson on his third try, but I think he probably would have done it. Um, Had Monica been voted out before Brad, I could see like a case for that Mm -hmm. Um, for him doing it. I mean, I'm trying to see who else, maybe one of the moms, or something would have yeah but I could see whole, I could see Tina being willing to like switch with yeah. Katie but then but then like I feel like Katie was there because of Tina like though Tina mm-hmm. Katie never had this big desire to return to the to play Survivor the same way that it means something to Tina so I don't think that's something that Katie ever would have asked of Tina and I think like if Sierra really wanted uh 
Laura to switch with her, then maybe. But like, I think they're both pretty competitive individuals and like neither of them would have asked the other to switch in. So I don't see anything like that happening. Those are probably the only instances where that would have been a possibility though. So now at this point, I want to jump to talking about uh, the successes of the San Juan del Sur cast. Um, Because I think think we were going to bop around in between the San Juan del Sur cast should not work on paper is my theory. There's like the amount of sort of like himbos and weird casting choices for controversy. The fact that you have the twins who were on the amazing race twice and like were pretty like reviled amazing race uh, racers. This season should not have a good cast. Like it really shouldn't, but it all kind of works out in a fascinating way. Um, Gia, I'm wondering who your highlights on this cast are. Well, obviously, Natalie. (laughs) Love Natalie. I I am sad that not we lost two women of color so early in the game with Nadia and Val, similar to how we lost women in Blood versus Water. There was a tribe that was voting out all the women because they wanted to keep the men together. And I thought that was pretty upsetting for me, at least. Mm-hmm. And so I was very sad that we saw Nadia and Val, but like they held their own and they fought for their place in the game. So I am happy that we at least saw some fight in them. They were not going to lay down and die, which I think sometimes we did get a couple instances of, you know, we just we just got even the early boots were were not duds to me in San Juan del Sur in the same way that I think we got a couple duds throughout the blood versus water cast. Mm-hmm. Um, Nadia, of course, Jeremy probably one of the most universally liked players. Mm -hmm. And I'm so happy that he was given the opportunity to come back and he won in one of my favorite seasons ever with Cambodia. But I think I was very sad to see Jeremy blindsided, but you can tell he really learned from what happened in San Juan del Sur and brought it to his Cambodia game. And this is in part the reason why he won But even if he hadn't won, he was overwhelmingly one of the most likable players of the season. So it was so much fun to see him. Even if we did not see Jeremy ever play again, Mm -hmm. he still would have been one of the most well-liked players in this cast. Oh, yeah. Like a a perfect, like, hero's arc cut short. Like Exactly. Like someone that is just so likable. Like that's pretty much why he got voted out. He's very strong. He has a great family. He's a very likable man. So, you know, like just overwhelmingly, like you can't hate him. So this is, you know, this is just someone that I was always so excited, even when he is so frustrated with the idiocy of his tribe, he had me laughing. So I was always a big fan of Jeremy. I continue to be a big fan of Jeremy in all three of his seasons, but I can't, you can't talk about Samuel Del Del Sur without talking about how this is the first Jeremy season that we get and even though he went out fairly early um he only makes it three rounds into the merge and that's with a quit but Mm -hmm. he's still such a big character and like probably got one of the highest votes to come back I don't have like the numbers of who received how many votes in Cambodia but I feel like everyone was so excited at the prospect of Jeremy returning Kelly Wentworth, even it's interesting because Kelly Wentworth really came into her own and Cambodia as well. 
she didn't do a whole lot in her t- she didn't do a lot wrong but she didn't do a lot right either with the San Juan del, San Juan del Sur game but we know this that this is the origin season of Kelly Wentworth so even though she doesn't leave that much of an impression in this particular season we know that there is greatness awaiting her and her future seasons as well Well, Um, I was going to say that I think with, so here, here's my comparison, right? Bringing back someone like Kat, Kat who clearly didn't show any sort of strategic prowess the whole season uh, in one world versus bringing somebody back like Kelly, who is kind of a nothing in, in some ways, but is objectively like interesting and clearly has the sort of mind for the game. And, you know, people might say who, or like, why bring that person back? Um, it's so much smarter to bring back somebody who fits into the Kelly mold because she's just going to uh, have a chance to right her wrongs. And I think actually it's what Sierra fits into as well, coming back from Blood versus Water onto Cambodia too, of like, these people want to fix their mistakes. Um, and even though Kelly doesn't have a great impact here, she is a survivor legend. And if anything, Farm Dad 69 is also a legend and we have to respect him. Yes. And I actually wish that I did really like Kelly and she didn't do really anything wrong in her vote out. She really got swapped screwed and they kind of voted her out to punish her dad essentially. So it was more like she was a victim of circumstances beyond her control. But I wish, I think that having a play, I would rather see a player like Kelly come back who was pre-jury showed some strategic promise, but didn't do a whole lot wrong, but pretty much got voted out because of a swap screwed situation, right? I would rather see players like that return than our like two, three, four time returnees that we keep getting of like players that we know are obvious picks to get voted out. They're production's favorites. They're the ones that fit the mold of like what Jeff and the producers are looking for, like usually men who mm-hmm. have big personalities or are very controlling and they only want to play a certain way. They hold immunity wins in very high regard, or they can find a lot of idols and they have like the privilege to kind of get away with their behaviors that is not always afforded to women or people of color. So, you know, like, all of those. I would rather us look like, let's take a look at some of our pre-jury contestants <laughs> and see where we can find some more of that promise. Cause like, I don't need like the fourth place Rob goddesses to be returning every season when it's like they went home on their own accord. Like they clearly can't manage their threat level well, or like other things happened with that. Like let's yeah. bring back some of our pre-jury contestants because we probably have several Kelly Wentworth like personalities there like that got into really shitty situations and we they deserve a second chance to see how much they've grown or what they could actually do when they're not in this particular situation that got them voted out maybe they'll get voted out early again or maybe they will have such a huge impact on the season like Kelly did but I yes. really I really need to build my like full I've always thought about like my returning, you know, my, you know, Cambodia 2.0 cast. And like, mm-hmm. the more I do this podcast, the more I need to. But uh, Gia, the oh person God, that to me. we do one where we ooh. just like debate what players we want to? I think oh, I could, that, that would be really fun. I have like. Oh my God. Maybe I have to bring like a list of 10. Yes. Yeah, like get like a, 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 a panel of it. 
Well, the person to me that I know probably will never play again, but I want to very, very badly is Val Collins. Oh my God. I loved Val. Val, Val owned her shit. Let's be real. Val was very confident in herself, probably Mm -hmm. not the best strategic player, but, and she, uh, she was pregnant at the time that Jeremy went to play Cambodia. So we didn't get to see like a lot of opportunity for like her to return in that regard, or like she, she clearly could not play Cambodia with Jeremy, even if she had wanted to be on the second chances ballot. Yeah. But so much, I love when people fight for their place to stay and Val certainly did that. Um, even if it wasn't the best executed, but she did not want Jeremy to make any like special privileges to her and challenges. She knew that she was strong. She knew her capabilities. She knew her worth. I would a thousand times love to see Val return again. Like, oh my God, I would love to have Val return and return on her home, her own, like separate from from Jeremy, unless they really wanted them to return to like a blood versus water season together. But I would love to see Val return on her own if she ever wanted to give it a go again. Oh, yes, 100%. And I, I think- will give, give a shout out also to uh, Josh and um, Reed as well. I thought they were a very fun duo, but I think you want to say something more about Val. So I'll get to that first. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, I love Josh and Reed very much. So um, for me, Val, is, Val and Jeremy could be like an incredibly successful, amazing race team um, if they were bored and wanted to go on the amazing race uh, because yes. they have... Um, I've also been watching an incredible amount of The Amazing Race in quarantine. And uh, to me, they have um, what is essential on The Amazing Race, but what is also essential on Survivor in Blood versus Water seasons, which is you need to know that the other person um, is not going to show weakness for you, which Mm -hmm. is more necessary on Survivor for sure. But they're great communicators and they're great at understanding that like, hey, I can't always uh, let you win. I can't always let you have this. Like we have to be strong together and you have to be able to be independent and you don't like, you don't need me for guidance the whole way through. And that's, what's great about Val is that she's so independent and so able to say like, don't worry about me. Like just focus on you. Um, And it's, it's very uh, intelligent. It, yeah. it is the way like I can't <laughs> I'm like going through the thesaurus in my head and I can't find the word because it's not noble right she's just doing what she needs to do but it's she's really very, smart um I would say if I would like regal like in her she's like she <laughs> owns her shit she like she can stand like confidently by herself or with her husband and like she has the initial like confidence in herself also to- crazy oh sorry go ahead oh no you're fine but like She's a Val's confident. Val knows who she is and what she's good at and where her strengths lie. And whether that honestly, maybe I do want to see them go on Amazing Race together. Maybe like whether she it would be like Val coming on Survivor or whether it would be her and Jeremy going on uh, Amazing Race. Maybe we have Val go to Survivor Australia as well. <laughs> any of those, I would love to see Val on reality TV again in some form. Maybe she should be on Big Brother, like by herself. Ooh, that'd be fun. 
Um, I was going to say oh, that it, it's crazy. They're the only married couple on this season. Like when you think about it, that that's, I mean, there's John and Jacqueline who are boyfriend and girlfriend at this point in time, but like there's John and, and, um, and Julie, but they're also boyfriend and girlfriend. Like there is no other married couple on this oh, season. Yeah. Um, so we have and- three parent child relationships, one married couple, two, three dating couples, and then two siblings. Two siblings. I think that's everyone. I'm like looking at the cast photo right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that makes sense. And it's, they're all, they're all kind of great dynamics in their own weird way. Uh, besides John Rocker, who, uh, as we can say on this podcast, really fuck John Rocker. Um, but there's a lot of interesting dynamics in the pairs that they have picked. Um, and now this cast to me is, uh, you you can say that it's it's maybe dumb or boring, but I think that they've found like the perfect balance between like survivor character, like a classic like you know Tom from Africa, combined with um, some of the more interesting dynamics of family relationships and you know partners and people that are sort of living their lives together. Um, but let's jump to. Josh and Reed, uh, some of my faves who sadly are not together anymore. So I guess they'll never come back for an amazing race season or a, another blood versus water season. But I love these guys so much. They're perfect casting. They were honestly, and I, I don't mind that they're not together anymore. I feel like I could, I would see either of them play again themselves as well. So I don't feel like I need them to be together for me. Oh yeah. My, either one of them can come back. My, yeah. But I, especially Reed, I would love to see Reed return. I think he got screwed in a lot of places that were not his fault. Mm -hmm. But I think where I think Josh kind of fell on his own sword at this point, like he definitely went out because of his own mistakes where they like, there's room for Reed to come back and get a chance to play his own game where he's not, he's not the victim of like everyone else's circumstances essentially so that would be my pick but josh and reed both like you can tell they both are survivor super fans they love the game uh they really want to make an impact on their season and i think they both accomplished that so definitely would want josh and reed um to come back and i think they were really fun duo and they were fun on their own as well they spent a lot of their beginning games not on the same tribe so that was a fun time to see like both of their strategic strengths as well I was gonna say and I mean they like Reed's okay people there's a lot of contention about Reed's final tribal speech but I just think it goes to show that like some something that you need in reality tv players is people who are set in their own sort of belief and narrative and are not willing to back down because it's entertaining I'm not saying that Reed is right or wrong, but like you need the entertainment of the people who are sort of in their own little wacky world. And like Reed is in his world. He, Baylor and Missy are enemy number one and two. They need to go down and he will not stop. Um, but, you know, that's a, I think it's a fascinating arc to the whole season and I really enjoyed watching it. Can I be like perfectly frank on so all nuts. of that? Uh, I loved Reed's final tribal council speech. I 
was so I could feel his frustration throughout the season, but like, honestly, Missy and Baylor to me are insufferable. Like <laughs> they are, they, I know, cause I know Missy and Baylor and I don't know what they're like outside of the game. And I know that the edit only tells us X amount of things, like whatever we need to know to understand how everything turns out in the end. Right. But from what we saw, it was the mom wanting to cater to all the men and her daughter. And she spoils all of them. She it's her way or the highway. And she mistreats the other people in that are not part of her core group of people that she is taking care of. And it was insufferable to watch, especially when it's like no one could say a bad thing about Baylor like they would be able to do on any other season without Missy talking about like, that's my kid or mm-hmm. so I was just they were so insufferable to me. And like, and not to saying that Missy deserves a fine, like a grilling at final tribal council like that. But the fact that we have someone like Reed who is able to say his piece and really say what he thinks is karmatic justice for how he was treated by her throughout the season. I think she very much did treat certain people as less than when compared to the people that she wanted to like look out for. And, Oh, I loved it. I loved the speech. I think it was, you know, this is the type of thing you have to be, aware of when you do final tribal council and as a finalist like if you don't treat people well they will call you out on it Mm -hmm. and all of those votes matter so you need to make sure you treat people nicely and uh reed ended up voting for jacqueline after that speech not because he thought jacqueline played the best game but because (laughs) he knew everyone else was voting for natalie with the exception of Missy and Jacqueline's loved ones. And he didn't want Missy to split the $100,000 prize money with Jacqueline. So again, maybe if Missy had been a little nicer, she would have gotten some, a little bit of extra cash for her time. (laughs) So Um, I'm all for it. And I, and I do love that we have players like that, that are petty. Like I don't need everyone to be a game bot strategist the entire time. I would actually prefer that we have less, game bot strategist on the show and more himbos like give us mess give us like your average like reality tv contestant give me very flawed outspoken characters give me a couple strategists there's survivor fans sprinkled in there but like the more mess the better and like nowhere else does that look better than with like the nail boys i'm like not a strategic <laughs> bone between the two of them absolutely like nowhere to be found they both I'm assuming they like take turns with their brain cell at some point but like oh, and that and that's funny because I think that the uh the Chrissy brothers have not even one brain cell to rub between them they they don't have a brain cell at all the nails have uh between the four of them the nails have whatever like strategic brain power that between them but the nails are so entertaining oh my god they are so funny throughout the show Keith gives some of the funniest confessionals throughout his two seasons. He's another mm-hmm. San Juan del Sur OG that we see come back in Cambodia, showing again like the height because these are people that got voted in. So we're show we see what a strong cast that we had so many 
San Juan del Sur returnees in one season. That was a season that fans voted them in. And oh my God, Keith was so funny. He was great. And I'm so happy we got to see him and, uh, and Wes, they both had some really hilarious moments and they really were there to have fun. Like they were not strategic. They knew how they needed to vote to get themselves a step ahead, but that was like pretty much it. They, we never really saw them trying to, uh, strategize their way into any particular spot they just were a member of a group and they would vote with that group they seemed to be well liked enough but oh my god it was so funny <laughs> love them that's like we I want I want players like that I don't need all of these players to be thinking about the game 24 7 because like we're the audience watching at home we want to be entertained so being entertained isn't strategy and twist 24 seven. Sometimes it's these human moments. And that's another thing that I think blood versus water um, has less of than this San Juan del Sur is because in San Juan del Sur, we're watching everybody on the same level, right? Nobody's ever played survivor before. You know, the most is that the twins have played um, on the amazing race. Uh, but there's lots of human conflict with Val and Jeremy, with um, Nadia getting voted out first. Um, and I would say even to a point of like, the, okay, John Rocker objectively sucks. Watching Julie sort of handle it is a fascinating social experiment in a way of like, what happens if your loved one sucks? What happens if nobody likes this person that you objectively say that you love? How do you deal with that? And how do you handle that? Um, is interesting and then you know she quits and it's less interesting but I have always loved this season because I think it has a lot more of the raw emotion that producers wanted from the idea of loved ones playing together than than blood versus water ever could have as a season because of the returning players uh, and not only that but because of the redemption island twist Um, because I think that uh, the redemption island means that once the players have voted out, you can still see them and you can still say bye to your loved one and cry about it. But I love the idea of like, you might say bye to your loved one in the challenge and you're not going to see him again for another, you know, potentially, you know, Nadia and Natalie don't see each other for 39 freaking days. You know, like there is such a dramatic element to like no redemption Island, say your goodbyes, you're gonzo um, that I really love about this season. And I feel like they really kind of, I feel like a lot of the blood versus water choices were made with the idea of keeping the returning players in as long as possible. And it's, it's to the season's detriment. Yeah. And I'm just not a big fan of redemption Island in general, but I think so much of blood versus water is spent on the meta game around, like, we know that some of them have pregame deals. So like internally you're thinking, all right, like, who can I vote out that I am not going to like mess up that deal in like my outside world or like, who do I have deal with outside of the game or things like that. But even beside that, what we see is a lot of players trying to navigate like um, redemption Island or what happens if X person comes back or X person comes back. I think part of the reason mm-hmm. we don't see Tyson get voted out at any point is because Jervis and Monica both know that if they were to flip on Tyson, then 
he's likely going to come back Mm -hmm. and they're going to get screwed over. Anyway, we see him come back in edge of extinction. We know he has the prowess to come back in a challenge, like, uh, like the redemption Island ones we saw. So I think that, and anyone else that came back was going to be working against the Jervis, Monica Tyson trio anyway. So they already couldn't afford to lose anyone. And I think in those instances, and I wouldn't, like Jervis is not a conservative player. Jervis is not someone that. Um, oh yeah, Jervis has his heart on his sleeve at all times. Yes, Jervis is someone that is like you know how this man is feeling. You know that he he is thinking about himself. Number one, he's one of the only ones that like had no problem letting his loved one stay on Redemption Island. You know, like he was mad, but he wasn't going to give up his game for it. But he was, you know, Jervis is thinking about himself, and he is hoping that someone else can take the shot at Tyson so that he can get the credit at the end. But they know that whoever's coming back to Redemption Island is not going to work with them. So he cannot be the person to take the shot at Tyson when they're already probably down at least one number by the Redemption Island twist. And that's one of the issues that I have with Redemption Island and any of those like returning player twists Mm -hmm. on seasons like this, because Though Redemption Island, other outside of the survivor purist mentality of once you're voted out, you should be out of the game for good, which, you know, I already, you know, I'm, I do believe like that. I don't like the idea that like the players you vote out have the opportunity to come back, but irregardless of that twists like Redemption Island encourage players like Jervis and Monica who might be wanting to eventually make a big move against Tyson. I think Jervis is more likely to do this than Monica, but it it encourages like Jervis to stay in that position because he can't vote out Tyson and not screw himself in the long game because Jervis is probably on his way out next or he could be the other person facing Tyson in Redemption Island, and he's probably going to lose against Tyson. Yep. You know, so there's so much going on that it really, you know, we can't, I can't fault Jervis and Monica for not going against Tyson because really, what else were they supposed to do? It just is such a hindrance on this season. Um, and this is a hot take. I actually think EOE is a better returning player twist idea when they don't know that it's happening. And that's why it's so successful in that first moment when Rick Devins comes back into the game is because they have one, no idea that these people have been waiting for them to get back in the game. And two, it's one challenge, one competition, you're back in, see everybody else. And it's so hard to be strategic and have strategic freedom when you know there's a returning moment it it happens in big brother all the time too where they're worried about a, a you know they're worried about the jury comeback challenge like worried about the battle back and it just hinders gameplay so badly i actually think we see this on the challenge a lot where like because you can throw someone into elimination unless they're for sure going to go home you don't want to take the risk of pissing them off in elimination i don't think it has a lot of that same mentality that is just detrimental to people actually making like interesting dynamic and like crazy moves like you could you can fathom that in a season like San Juan del Sur, they might vote off some of the weaker women before voting off somebody like Jeremy or Josh just because they're like, ah, well, what if Jeremy comes back in the redemption challenge? 
Yeah, exactly. And I don't, I think Redemption Island definitely would have hurt Sam Wendell, sir, if they've had brought it back. Thank God for Mike White for stopping that shit from happening. Shout out to the podcast title <laughs> character. Um, but I, yeah, that's another reason why I'm just not a fan of like any of those twists. I did like Edge of Extinction and Winners at War, but I think it was just because we got to see more of these winners that we have known to come to care about. But Winners at War is such a different season because it's an all winner season. So I feel like you can kind of excuse it in that instance outside of these other seasons that are not this special moment in Survivor history. But yeah, I feel like with Blood versus Water, the Redemption Island just should not have been a thing. The op- Even the opportunity to swap out with loved ones, I'm kind of like, ugh. I, I get that's why they had Redemption Island, but mm-hmm. it just it just feels so unlike Survivor. The option that you could just like swap with your loved one and then they're in the game and you're out of the game. So yeah. it, technically we could have had all these players that had been voted out at some point still in the game. And I think because of the nature of Survivor, that wasn't going to happen except for someone like Laura and Rupert. But it just was, it It was a weird twist. It's not like normal survivors. So it just doesn't make sense. And it really prevented, like the thing that I complained about, the fact that it really is just a story of like Tyson getting to the end and winning. And there really wasn't a chance for his other Alliance members, who I would say probably put in as much work as, um, who put in as much work as uh, Tyson to get to the end mm-hmm. that, you know, like it doesn't give them the opportunity to distance themselves from Tyson or make a move against Tyson if they had wanted to. Like, we don't get to see that because of this twist. And like, because like that is my complaint about the storyline. It's like, I feel like Redemption Island is in part to blame for that. And maybe Jervis wouldn't have turned on Tyson at any point, but they certainly prevented him from getting an opportunity to do so. So there really was never this question of like whether this was going to happen or not. So Mm -hmm. I just, it's still fun, but it it definitely led to some intrigue. But when like half of the game is spent with them wondering, uh, are they going to be on Redemption Island? Uh, Is this person coming back? If I vote out this person, will this person uh, swap out with them? Maybe we can take out a big threat that way. It's just like, all right, this is, a lot focus on the dynamics within your own tribe please mm-hmm. so it's just and again i do like blood versus water as a season but these are the things that prevent it from me from enjoying it as much as i enjoyed san juan del sir here's here's another thing i have to say like when we think about like like you mentioned there's a lot of iconic moments in san juan del sur and when i think of the iconic moments in blood versus water right i think of like crying because you didn't make the merge so you're undateable. Um, and I think of final six. I think of voting out your mom. But I would say that the final six vote, going to rocks, and the voting for your mom are both products of a season where uh, it is just underdogs trying and failing to fight against the power trio. And that is just inherently not as fun Survivor to watch as, you know, Natalie blindsiding the shit out of Baylor like those moments are so perfect and getting her revenge on John and all this stuff and to me one of the fundamental reasons that I don't love uh, Blood versus Water is because 
you're basically just watching Tyson go to the end and you're watching Monica in a lot of ways. Cause I actually do love Monica as a survivor character, but you're watching her sort of get reprimanded for being in an alliance with Tyson. But then like we just spent, you know, 15 minutes talking about, there are all these factors why you really can't vote out Tyson and you can't vote out Jervis because the other side isn't going to take you to the end. And Tyson and Jervis are going to be super pissed at you and they're not going to work with you when they basically probably come back into the game. So I've always felt very bad watching Monica in this season, but this is all to say that San Juan del Sur kicks ass and like takes no prisoners. Like maybe I would add in like F you called Brad Culpepper as an iconic moment and (laughs) uh, Caleb flipping on Brad Culpepper as well. But then other than that, it's like, that's it. That's the iconic moment. It's kind of a snooze in the finale because we just know what's going to happen at that point. And nothing happens that makes me think anyone else in that final three was going to win. So it just was not, it was not particularly thrilling. Whereas we go to San Juan del Sur and we get like, we get basically I'm a badass and we get like the entire other tribe like fighting all of Hunapu like demanding their loved ones vote out John Rocker. And we have, uh, what was it? We have like the fact that two, our two winners edits in Josh and Jeremy go out back to back in the first two merge votes. <laughs> and we have stick to the plan. We have Reed trying to engineer a vote and stick to the plan doesn't work. We have all these different idols that are used in different ways. And Natalie <laughs> voting wrong on yes. purpose. And then convincing her tribe that it was an accident. Like, and that's that's a couple moments of San Juan del Sur. That doesn't even really cover like everything that happened. And I didn't even get to Jacqueline, did you vote for who I told you to vote for? It's like there's just so much and it's everywhere. Like all of these hot mess moments that can really only pre- be produced on a season like San Juan del Sur. And it's not in the same vein of like. F you cult Brad Culpepper happened because so many people were not a fan of Brad Culpepper and he kept voting out all the women on his tribe, which as a woman, that was so frustrating to watch. Whereas like, basically I'm a badass is happens when Drew throws a challenge and base gets himself voted out just by like the fact that he wanted to do something and push too hard for I wanted other people to listen to him for no merit whatsoever. Like Mm -hmm. it's just a huge comedy of errors and it's so much fun to watch. I, I really feel like uh, what San Juan del Sur has that blood versus water does it is it has like the perfect comeuppance for every single character that deserves it. And very rarely do we actually see that in survivor. A lot of the time we just see like, you know, people get voted out unceremoniously for being like a big threat or they win the game and you're like, okay, well that sucked. And I feel like San Juan del Sur has perfect story arcs for all of their characters in a lot of ways. And I will also say that we, (laughs) I think we just need to talk about the final five vote, like, and (laughs) how badass it is. Um, There's a great video and I can't even remember who posted it. But, like, somebody did an incredible breakdown of, like, all of the intricacies of this vote and, like, why it's such an ingenious move from Natalie. 
But I want to hear your thoughts, Gia, on it because I I think it's one of the best moves a winner has ever made in Survivor. Yeah. Oh my God. It's amazing. So I do want to push back a moment and go back to the John Mish vote, if we can. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I think this was, and this is a perfect example of the players getting their perfect comeuppance. And I think it's in a fun way in which blood versus water can be a very mean spirited season at parts. And I think that's Mm. another difference between this and San Juan del Sur, where it's like, it has its rough moments, but really like largely in the pre-merge, but it's still, you know, we get a lot of poetic justice moments happening and a lot of like uh, accidental, accidentally iconic moments or, um, a lot of like, uh, like a lot of moments where like with John, we get this moment with how he's been trying to get credit and like build up his survivor resume before mm-hmm. survivor resumes were really a thing. Um, but he's often accidentally undermining the women on his alliance. And he seems to just be this happy go lucky dude that think things are going to work out for him in this season. And even with Jacqueline kind of automatic like correcting him all the time or like saying we should probably be keeping an eye out for these things and him just being like no it's fine like we got this and everything Jacqueline's like John we do not got this but so it's things that are really like a pushback on the traditional narrative that we often see in Survivor where players like John or players like Josh or Jeremy or uh Reed you know like would get like their happy endings or like get their get like the game would just work out for them because that's what always happens where instead it's we have this overconfident man and I do think John is actually like a very nice person he was very nice about his blind side as well um but it's still it was just so fun to see him get voted out after he was so confident that all of this blind sides that he had done like the Jeremy blind side in particular was not going to come back to bite him at any point and it's because Natalie planned it out so well that she was just waiting for the perfect moment to blindside John and it went it worked so well and the next the next uh vote which is the final five vote she saves Jacqueline because she did it so well. Natalie engineered it so that this whole vote worked in her favor. We all thought the obvious vote would be Jacqueline going here right after her boyfriend. And it seemed like a done deal. But Natalie wanted to split up, split up the last pair with Missy and Baylor. And she, without anyone like realizing what was going to happen, made it so that she was able to save Jacqueline and they were going to vote out Baylor. And Again, the people that were left, like Baylor and Missy never saw that coming. They thought, oh, well, uh, oh, well, like Natalie just got revenge on John. So, you know, like that was like her moment. But none of you, none of you thought that because you didn't vote for John, that Natalie didn't remember that you also blindsided Jeremy. Like she knows that she can't trust you guys either. Why would she want to keep a duo (laughs) in the game? So like... And again, part of this is I don't think anyone else in this final five is like the most strategically strong player left. I think really Natalie's last competition and like who she had to out strategize was Reed. And that 
he was voted out several rounds ago. <laughs> Just like I'm looking at the boot list right now. I'm like, oh, there were a lot of, uh, there were a lot of um, very funny players going out after Reed, but yes, uh, not, not really her, not really her toughest competition, I would say, but it worked so well that Natalie was just able to engineer her win. And it really felt like that. She really engineered her win from start to finish and like put planting the perfect seeds to make sure that not only people trusted her, but when she started getting her plan into motion, people thought, oh, this was just an accident or yeah, she got her revenge on John, but she would never do that to me. Or, you know, she's fine with us getting Jeremy out. Why would we ever think that leaving her out of this crucial vote was going to come back to bite <laughs> us? So it just, it, it just plays out like this very long movie and it's so much fun to watch. And so something else that I wanted to bring up about this vote about final five and about final, you know, these finals is uh, when Wes goes home, um, Natalie is the one who is telling John to play his idol. And eventually he comes back to camp. He's like, yeah, I knew it. I was going to play my idol. She's like, no, you freaking didn't. It was me helping you. Um, And I think it takes a really astute person to not only know when somebody else is playing their idol, but also uh, not like sort of take the kudos for it, which sounds strange, but like imagine if you're Natalie and you just had that totally go off without a hitch. And now John is like, Oh, I knew that was going to happen. Like you'd probably be pissed. And in any other season of survivor, I'm sure somebody would be (laughs) less thrilled. Um, But Natalie just takes it like a champ. She's going to get his ass soon. Alec, uh, after Reed goes home, Alec goes home. Then John goes home. And then at final five, the other thing here is not only could Jacqueline go home, but but Keith could go home too, especially considering Keith is like a very well-liked person. And I'm sure they all know he's a jury threat. Uh, But she's taking the risk of keeping Keith in the game so she can potentially... uh, get out this pair because I think that if Baylor, Missy, and Jacqueline are in the final four with Natalie, there's a big chance that they say, actually, shouldn't we vote out Natalie instead of Jacqueline? Um, And I think that Natalie is basically thinking many steps ahead of almost everybody this season. um, And she absolutely whips ass as a player and I love that about her. And I'll say this. It is very impressive that Natalie uh, manages to, I, I guess, be... <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the amazing race seasons that Nadia and Natalie were on, but they are um, kind of insufferable. They are uh, not fun to watch. They're really obnoxious. And I love them. I watched San Juan del Sur before I watched their amazing race season. And I was like, oh my God, they're horrible on this season. And I actually find it very impressive that Natalie is able to take all of the parts of her that are frustrating or um, like she literally steals. I don't know if many people know this on the amazing race. You're given money per leg. Somebody in the game dropped like $50 or dropped their entire money for that leg. And Natalie and Nadia picked it up and kept it. And that's not against the rules, uh, but it's a dick move. And in this episode, then that team has to go beg around like Russia for money. And it's like, it's very 
it, it's just played for all this thing of like, can you believe that they made them go ask people with no money for money? And it's very dramatic. But this is all to say that I'm very impressed that Natalie and uh, was so successful because when you look at the way the scheme is set up and all of her experience on CBS beforehand, she has a lot stacked against her. And it's kind of crazy that it all works out for her. So I have all the, the respect in the world for Natalie. I wanted to ask you something, Gia, which is I wanted, to, I wanted you to talk about uh, your hot take that we're, we didn't make the focus of this episode, but that I desperately want to talk about. Oh, my God. So that oh, can I say something first about Please. to go off of what you were saying? I, I the other thing I love about San Juan del Sol that really does go against the traditional narrative of a of a season. So you see episodes like where John, like you were saying, how John took credit for the new that the move that Natalie made mm-hmm. in encouraging John to uh, play his idol. And in a traditional season, you know, we've seen this played out several times. Men often get credit for the work that women are doing in Survivor. And kudos to Jacqueline for also saying that this was Natalie's move. So, um, you know, like, I think she can also feel the frustration in that moment where John is trying to take credit for something that he did not do or that he did not, uh, he did not get the ball rolling on that move. And we often see that happen on shows like Survivor. Mm-hmm. And even at the beginning of the season, you know, everyone was thinking that, you know, Josh or Jeremy were going to win because that's what the edit was telling us, that that was who one of our winners was going to be one of those two guys. And, you know, a lot of people were giving Natalie Flack, myself included, when she encouraged John to play her idol in that moment, play his idol in that moment. So, you know, there, there are several moments like this throughout the season, but Natalie really played this for the long game and she mm-hmm. executed it with such patience. And the fact that it worked out as well as it did was brilliant. But also the fact that we did get a lot of players, particularly the men who thought that things were going their way, really get like their comeuppance was so refreshing and it was very nice to see it play out in a way that was like this woman outsmarted everyone here by leagues above all of them and it was just it was great to watch and I think that the fact that it goes against such a traditional edit what we have come to expect from Survivor was very refreshing and I think that is a huge part of the reason why San Juan del Sur holds such a near and dear place to my heart. Yes. It's, yes. it's a, a, any season with a final three of all women is objectively in the end iconic. You know, we love Kim Spradlin. We love Natalie. And I think that the control that they exerted over the game and the fact that we can see their success without seeing any sort of, well, there were men, you know, I think in a, in a worse edited season, it, it could be implied that, well, Jeremy helped Natalie get there or Jeremy really gave Natalie the win. Like there's so many um, characters and situations that could have been implied to say that Natalie didn't do this all on, not all on her own, but didn't have a lot of agency in the way that she played. Um, yeah. And even someone like me who is not a huge fan of One World, like I love Kim, Sabrina and Chelsea, like the final three of that season too. So it's like, I can, like, we can appreciate iconic women, even not in (laughs) an iconic season, 
but I would love to see any of them play again, including Natalie Jack and Jacqueline as well. Well, it, it's uh, the episode hasn't come out yet, but on my list of people to play again is Sabrina. I'm very sad she did not get um, voted in. I on know. Because I would have loved for her to have played again. I hope she does get an opportunity to play back, but uh, agree. That is a good choice for someone I would love to see play again. Well, Gia, I want to touch upon um, another hot take that you possess that uh, every time I think about it, I laugh my ass off. Please, I, I want to get into the real hot take, yes. the the spicier than normal uh, survivor take. Please enlighten the, the hottest video. of the hot takes that <laughs> I have is that Sandra should have gotten two lives and winners at war. <laughs> and this is not, listen. I am a Sandra stan. I am not, nothing makes me happier than seeing Sandra outsmart people and get rich. Like, I love it. I could watch, <laughs> I could watch it happen several times. I'm like dying to see it happen in, in Australian Survivor as well. So I am a huge Sandra fan and I will not pretend to be anything less, but think about it. Sandra did the impossible. Something that was like, when the first returnee season happened survivor all-stars it is largely defined by the fact that beginning part of the game was a winner's witch hunt is what they called it that Mm. all of the winners were getting voted out for no other reason than the fact that they had already won the game and the returning players that hadn't won wanted their chance right so this is something that had sandra returned in all-stars and i think she was actually offered a chance to come back but she was Mm -hmm. still sick from pearl islands because they filmed so close together but so had sandra played all-stars she probably would have met a very similar fate for no other reason than the fact that she had won and so for a long time this idea that we could have we've had and we've had winners return before but and Sandra was actually in the f- final in the final three of Heroes versus Villains with another winner in Parvati, who played a great game in her own right. But Sandra did something that no one really thought was possible. Even Russell thought that he was a shoo in to win Heroes versus Villains because they did not think they would ever vote for a winner to win twice. Right. But Sandra defied the odds in a time where this was com- like considered impossible, right? Like this was not something that had been done before. They did not know that this was something that could really happen. Uh, A lot of players didn't seem like this was something that would like realistically happen, that you would get enough votes to win a second time and win a second million dollars. But Sandra did that. She defied the odds. And not only that, but she did it in her first two seasons playing. So like had Sandra not done shit after Heroes versus Villains, this woman has the most perfect record that a returning player could possibly have. And she did it being iconic because she has so many iconic lines. She's hilarious. She owns herself and she knows who she is and she knows who she can trust and not trust. And just watching her play, she is by far one of the most entertaining and iconic characters and the queen of Survivor. So like most iconic, probably I would say the most iconic person to come out of Survivor ever. But I know I would get a lot of pushback on that for other people pushing their faves. So how, how dare you ignore the legacy of Boston Rob? Oh my God. Jeff's going to be 
just blocking me right now. <laughs> the pros adding you. I well, know. He's never. I'll never get to play Survivor. It's tragic. But, I, I was. So- I was gonna say that like the idea of her getting two lives right is like she she did something that nobody else did before the opportunity was available to all winners, right? Yes. She did it before anybody else. Yes. So she did the impossible and it was very impressive. And the fact that she played very similarly both times, because had any of those players been more perceptive, they could kind of see the way that this was going. And I think Parvati did actually know that this is something that would happen if Sandra was in the final three with them. right? Right. And so kudos to, Parvati as well for picking up on the fact that, you know, Sandra is not going to be a zero vote finalist, but so she did all that. And she did the first two times she played. Most players cannot do that, like cannot win the first time they play. So the fact that she was able to do it twice is incredibly impressive. So you're telling me that our second return, we're going to do a season of all winners, meaning by default, we are going to get our second two time winner here. And they're going to get more money for winning mm. an all-winner season when we already have someone that did the impossible when it was considered impossible to win twice. And you're going to bring her on with a bunch of one-time winners. Like, how dare you? And like, act like she is their equal. She has already accomplished what they are trying to accomplish here. Like, please. She does not deserve to be. And I'm glad she did not decide to do edge of extinction because she is far too good for that nonsense but like you're gonna tell me you're gonna have her with a big target just for being the queen for being better than all of them (laughs) and you're going to expect her to be among the peasants and edge of extinction because you do not get like because she has done she has already done what these people are fighting to do you know yeah she doesn't need to prove anything to anyone and you are giving that made me so mad that they got two million for winning this season i get that winners at war is like a special season but i'm like no sandra already won two million so yeah. you do not get to make someone else win more money than her she has already done the work she has already proven that it is possible these people are just trying to play catch up to her legacy uh, so you just absolutely. got me mad again that tony won two million dollars I know. And like, yeah i'm like it, it makes no sense and the fact that they they acknowledge that she is the queen obviously like they have talked about it several times but like Sandra is not at the same level as any of these players. She has already done the work that these players are trying to do. And sorry, but like, sorry, Island of the Idol. She is not the same caliber as Boston Rob. Like, Boston Rob is not as good of a player as Sandra. I'm sorry. So like, we do not need to pretend that she is anyone's equal in Winners at War. So I feel like she, if she's not going to get paid the most money that a two-time winner has been paid because of this bullshit $2 million prize, she should get something in that if she got voted out and that Denise should not have voted out Sandra. That was dumb anyway, but <laughs> she should have not like, but had she been, she should have gotten something else because she is uh, like automatically better than everyone else there. And she should have gotten an extra life so that if she had been voted out, she is allowed. She all right. She gets like one torch snuff. Now here's your new torch and you get to play again. Like basically right. you get a free pass round because she has done the work. She's she put her effort in. She has lasted 39 days twice. Like, I don't know. Like, what else can this woman do for you for you all to 
except the fact that she is the queen and they, we will never have a player compared to her. She serves in entertainment as well as um, in her gameplay. You cannot tell me that, like, why do we not have Sandra merchandise in the CBS shop? I'm telling you. <laughs> like, this woman has delivered constant iconic lines. She has served every season she has been a part of. I don't understand. You guys should reward her in some way because she goes above and beyond for the Survivor franchise. I'm sorry. Like, give her her flowers. Give her two lives and winners at war. Yes. Um, I also have to say, I got to do uh, a very fun uh, help Sandra with a Zoom event. And Sandra had said that she didn't know that if you stuck it out on EOE, you would get on the jury. And she said she would have stuck it out for the first part just to be on the jury. But she didn't really want to get back in the game, um, which is so depressing because the one thing that I was saying to myself during Winners at War is like, even if Sandra gets voted out, she will be on the jury and we will get Sandra on the jury and she will be ripping into their asses. And then she's the only one who doesn't go on the jury. Which is fair because, like I said, she is better than them. So yeah. She's just not like unless her jury bench was going to be a throne, like they did not do it correctly. And I don't, but I don't get, I hate that an edge of extinction seasons, literally anyone that just sticks it out gets to be on the jury because the juries are huge. Like you do not need a 18 person vote. Like I don't, why, why are we doing this? What is the point of it? It really should have been like in season 38 when they did this, like, all right, the pre-jury people fought for their place in. Rick won. Mm-hmm. Everyone else goes now. You are pre-jury <laughs> officially. And then we will start this. If we really had to do start the cycle again, which I don't even know if I feel. It'd be like, all right, jury starts now. So you're all going to go on edge of extinction as you get voted out. And if you lose the next one, you are on the jury. Or if you raise up the flag, you decide you just want to go straight to jury, you can be on the jury then. Like, we do not need, and I loved having Reed on Edge of Extinction too, or having Reem on Edge of Extinction. She was great. She was very entertaining. That's another person I would love to have come back, if only for my own enjoyment. And, but we did not need all of these people in a jury. Even at Winners at War, it just got to be a lot. And you know, like we could have done something where we like, I feel like the jury is like this distinguished position and, yeah. you know, it's like, this is, these are the people that made it far enough to kind of see where your game is right now, but they're also going to have their own personal investment because they also got very far in the game. So they're going to be the ones deciding your fate. Whereas like what, like, what investment does Amber have in a Tony, Natalie, Michelle final three? She barely <laughs> played with any of them. Yep. Uh, she got to know Natalie in Edge of Extinction. But, you know, it's like, but other than like, she doesn't know what's happened in the game, really, besides what people tell her as they come on the edge. But she hasn't personally experienced any of it. And I was so happy for Amber to be coming back and was very sad when she got voted out so early. But like, really, like, why? Why are some of these people serving on a jury? They did not, like, Edge of Extinction is just, like, a completely different thing from, like, the game of Survivor. So, yeah. And I don't, and again, I feel like that's just, 
Like, I liked that we got to see more of the winners and winners at war, but Edge of Extinction is just, like, it's the worst. I I really feel like um, that winners at war suffers from the EOE, but obviously we know that it's, like, of course the people playing winners at war are only going to come back if, like, this potential exists. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that sense, if you have fire tokens, right, just say, you know what? Sandra gets double the fire tokens. Sandra gets double this because she is a two-time winner. Technically, there's 21 players on this freaking season. And if you can get her out, you can get her out. But like it to me is Survivor has honestly done worse twists than giving Sandra two lives. So I don't disagree with this in oh any God. way, shape, or form. Wait, okay. What if they didn't tell anyone that Sandra was getting two lives? I and mean, then like <laughs> Denise pulls that move and snuffs out. Sandra's torch and then Jeff just like hands her a new torch and being like you're our two-time winner here's your second life in the game I would love it if she like went to the other she just she, you know she's on the red tribe she just goes to like another tribe and is like okay, oh like Survivor Australia yeah she just gets swapped out to another tribe I like that actually like that's like your new yeah that that I like that let's do that <laughs> that would have been oh my god reddit would have been so mad but I would have been thriving oh my god it would be great so Gia, we come to the most important question of the show. Mike White was robbed. Um, when's the last time you watched School of Rock? Oh my God, not nearly soon enough to be honest. And I know it's on Netflix, so I've been like tempted a couple. Oh my times. God, it is on Netflix. Crazy. No, it keeps coming up. <laughs> it's been too long. I feel like it was on. It was a. Uh, I feel like it was streaming on. Uh, on like TBS or like one of those shows that streams mm-hmm. movies all the time. I feel like it was on there. So maybe like a year ago. Okay. Okay. Far too long. I feel like that's excusable. Uh, that's excusable. A year ago isn't too bad. Yeah. It was something I feel like, you know, uh, school of walk rock is like at least like a once a year viewing type situation. Exactly. Yeah. But I, it's been very, it's been a very long time. <laughs> Um, I watched well, a lot of movies during the pandemic, so I'm like, but has it been a long time? Like, well, I did, yeah. I would suggest any of uh, any other films from Mike White's filmography are, are great choices. Um, if you know, if you feel familiar enough with School of Rock, you can branch out to Brad Status, Buck and Chuck, Go Nuts, watch two I seasons of The watched, Amazing Race. <laughs> I have oh oh I have seen Mike White on The Amazing Race. So Mike and Mel, Team Mike and Mel, all the time. Uh, I did watch the White. Lotus. I was a White mm. Lotus fan, so I very much enjoyed that. Well, that and, you know, like a good ensemble cast. Mm. Mm-hmm. We we love supporting the White Lotus. Um, Gia, this has been so much fun. Um, thank you for being here, and uh, thank you for all the work you do in the Survivor community. I think you and everybody else at the Survivor Diversity Campaign put out so much energy into the world to make our reality TV a better place. And I hope that you get all the recognition you deserve. Have people should have told you that they're thankful for you. Cause you have in many ways changed the landscape of reality TV. And that's very You're exciting. So sweet. Oh my God. Thank you. I had so much fun today. I love talking about unpopular survivor <laughs> opinions because that's my favorite thing. I have so many of them, but Oh my God, this has been so much fun. And I'm glad, you know, I'm glad we get to talk about Project Runway every week together, but I'm very thankful for 
our podcast and for this episode of the podcast of Mike White is Robbed. And I'm very thankful for the survivor community in general and how much support we get from alumni and from fans about like our Twitter page, but also just the greater cause in general. Um, Our Black Survivor alums have done amazing work with having more inclusive reality TV to the point where they're sharing their own experiences, which are not always great to have um, in reality TV to make shows that we love like Survivor a better Mm -hmm. place for everyone. And I really, I'm really thankful for the community, not just the fans, but the alumni who have put in so much work and the content creators like you, who we get to talk about our survivor opinions and our favorite shows and seasons and people um, all the time. So it's, it's just an amazing community. I'm so blessed to be a part of it. I Love the Survivor community. I love it so much. And um, you guys not only have an impact on the Survivor community, but on the live reality game community as well. And I hope that we are all pushing forward to an exciting, inclusive, and uh, very open-minded community. Because I think we're already there, but we can always do better. Gia, what else should people check out if they cannot get enough of your Survivor hot takes and opinions? So I am still writing uh, our weekly roundups of Survivor 41 with my good friend, Christine. So I'm very excited. And that's on the Inside Survivor website. So keep an eye out for those. Uh, They're posted on the website. I tweet about them. So that is where I'm talking about our most recent Survivor. Uh, I'm very excited that Survivor South Africa has been announced that they are doing a new season for returnees. So I hope I get to get some content out related to that. So as we know more information, you can find out about what I'll be doing on my Twitter page, which is at Classically Gia. And that is where I tweet all of my unconventional survivor opinions and goings-ons. So feel uh, if you liked what you heard here, you will definitely <laughs> like the content of my Twitter page. It is a, a Fiji and Marquesas propaganda machine, and I'm very proud of it. I've worked very hard on my Marquesas and Fiji content. And But I will push for people, even if you are like, this opinion is garbage, I encourage you to follow the Survivor Diversity Campaign, which is at S-U-R-V diversity so at serve diversity that is where we post all types of content about u.s survivor international survivor as well as highlighting our favorite players highlighting iconic moments in the show highlighting the work that survivor alums are doing outside of the show so we are so uh lucky to have an amazing team behind the serve diversity uh twitter page and i'm so excited to you know, we are still a strong group and we are producing content all the time. So I encourage people to stay up to date with everything the Survivor Diversity Campaign is doing and following at Serve Diversity. So if you're not following me, follow that page instead. And if you are following me, you should definitely be following the Survivor Diversity <laughs> Campaign as well. So like either way. Follow yeah, what the, the fuck? <laughs> if you're following G and you're not following the Survivor Diversity Campaign, what the fuck? Yeah, um, you're all doing those, it wrong. All of those links will be in the description as well as mine. I have like a link tree with things. Um, uh, I don't know when I'm going to put these episodes out, but I will say that this year I've been very proud uh, to cover Survivor Michigan, Survivor Maryland, but also 
put out two seasons of Survivor New York that are so much fun and I hope you'll watch. And I hope that you uh, will check out uh, all the things coming from the Survivor New York universe like Big Brother New York, my dear listeners. And don't forget that every week, Gia, myself, and Nicole are covering Project Runway for Silent Podcasts. Thanks to Silent Podcasts for no other reason than just being Silent Podcasts. Gia, thank you so much once again. Uh, and uh, goodbye to the, let's say goodbye to the folks at home while we log off and uh, enjoy the rest of our post Thanksgiving, uh, I don't know, bliss, the hour of sunlight we have left. <laughs> yes, we'll definitely. Uh, I'm going to enjoy, I mean, it's raining over here. So I'm just going to. It's raining it. here. So what oh, a miserable right. day, well, but it's been more fun talking about it. last hour of daylight and then like <laughs> snuggling up to on my couch and watching movies. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Shia, and goodbye. Thank, everyone. You. thank you for listening. Bye-bye.